If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can either click to, turn to with me, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. If not, no worries. The words are going to come up on the screens as I read them in a few minutes. And so I want to talk to you about this group of passages that is typically known, and you may know it as uh, the, par- the, the, good, uh, the, uh, the prodigal son or the lost son. So you may know it those, those two ways, Luke chapter 15. Most people know this story by the prodigal son or the lost son, the son that, that left and came home. The father restores him. And normally, listen, normally when this group of of scriptures are preached, the focus is on what? The focus is on the prodigal. And so a lot of times we just talk about the prodigal. Yet when I look at this scripture, more texts, more words are given to the older brother than given to the prodigal. And as as I think about this, I've heard very few sermons that just focused on the older brother and focused on him. And so this morning, listen, this morning for the time that I have with you, I just want to talk to you about the older brother. And so I've titled this message, The Tragedy of an Offended Spirit, because here, here, here's what I learned, and am learning, that the longer that someone is a Christian, the longer, I'll just talk for me, the longer that I'm a Christian, sometimes our temptation is not to drift to the prodigal, but we're, it's easy to drift to the older brother. Especially with everything that we see going on in our country right now, whether it's politically, whether it's some other things going on, the the divisiveness of our country, the decisions that are being made, that if we're not careful, even as believers, we're not drifting to like the prodigal, we're drifting just towards this, this angry older brother. And so that can be our temptation in life, and that's what I want to talk to you because I'm telling you, there is a tragedy when someone carries an offended spirit. There is a tragedy when we have an offended spirit. Now listen, I I don't know if you realize this or not. I've just kind of come to this realization in my life, especially over vacation, but your expectations in life affect your life more than you think they do. Your expectations of God, your expectations of others, your expectations of circumstances, if we're honest, they affect us. They affect our lives more than we think they do. The best way that I can illustrate this goes all the way back to 1995. Uh, We had just come to Pueblo to plant Fellowship of the Rockies. We're church planters. Uh, We'd liquidated everything. We weren't taking a salary from the church, but we wanted to give our daughters a vacation. We'd already ripped them from their friends, their school, uh, their home, their grandparents, and we wanted some sense of normalcy. So we wanted to do a vacation, and so he says, well, what better way than do a vacation than see this beautiful state that we now live in? Not that Texas is not a beautiful state. (laughs) Just don't say a word. (laughs) And so, but we didn't have a lot of money. And so he says, you know what we need to do? We need to go somewhere within the state. We decided to go to Durango, and so we wanted a place with, like, a kitchen so that we could prepare our meals and we could save money that way. And so uh, Karen made some phone calls in this, this resort area, this place that she found in Durango. Uh, they had hotel rooms, and they had, like, condos with full kitchens. And so, but the price between the two was, like, huge. And so we couldn't afford the condo. And so he says, well, we'll get the hotel room. We'll just figure it out. And so we head over to Durango. I go to check in. I tell them my name. They look up my reservation. They say, oh, Mr. Jones, we're so sorry. Uh, We've just finished a ginormous golf tournament here. And as a result of that, I mean, we've been maxed. And we have some mechanical issues going on at the facility. And so the room that that you got 
that you reserved is not available. And so we're going to upgrade you to like this two-bedroom condo with a full kitchen at the same rate. Would that be okay? I'm like, would that be okay? That'd be like awesome. And so our, our daughters still remember that vacation because of God's provisions. And so we went in there, and we were like stupid silly. I mean, we're playing music. We're celebrating. We're dancing. And listen, when we went into that condo, we did not care that one of the burners on the stove didn't work and someone probably smoked there in there before we got there, and it was a little bit dirty. The refrigerator what you know didn't get really as cold as it should we didn't care about any of that why because it exceeded our expectations now it would have probably been totally different if we had paid for that room and we'd had some expectations that the stove would, would properly work and, and, and it was clean and, and, and all of those other things and the refrigerator worked well, we would have probably been offended or upset. Why? Because it didn't meet our expectations. See, this is the core issue of the, of the older brother. This is why he's offended. This is why he's angry because God did not make his did not fulfill his expectations. Listen, your expectations in life affect you more than you think they do. You could be in a really good marriage right now and not even know it because of your expectations. You could have some really good kids and not even know it because of your expectations. You could be in a really good situation. You could really have a really good job a good supervisor, and not even know it because of your expectations. God could be blessing you right now, meeting your needs, fulfilling everything in your life right now, and you not even be aware of it. Why? Because of your expectations. Listen, we just got to be honest about this. Our expectations of God, our expectations of others, our expectations of our circumstances can affect us more than we think they can. When we, listen, when we evaluate life, when we evaluate God on the basis of our expectations rather than the gift that God is giving us, we will carry, listen, we will carry an offended spirit. And what I'm seeing in this season, we got a lot of angry Christians out there. We got a lot of angry older brothers out there. And you know what the world needs? The world does not need more angry brothers. You know what the world needs? The world needs Christians that are still able to love and serve and have joy. And so when you look at this, let's just, let's just get caught up here. So that this story, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24, is focused on the lost son. This son comes to the place and tells the father, I'm out of here. I don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore. Give me my share of the, the inheritance. I'm out of here. He leaves. He goes to like the Las Vegas of their time. Uh, he hits rock bottom. He comes back. The father accepts him. That's the story of the prodigal son. Verse 25 is when we pick up, we pick up the older brother. So verse 25, look at this. Let's just read it. And then I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you three things, a lot of sub points, and I'm going to give you four principles that I'm going to live my life by, and you may want to adopt them. Um, so anyway, I've been away for a long time, so we got to catch up. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. He came near the house. He heard the music and dancing, so he summoned one of the servants and questioned what these things meant. Why didn't he go in? Why didn't he just go in and ask Dad? What? So anyway, so he's outside. Oh, your brother is here. He told him, your brother is here. He told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he is, has him back safe and sound. Okay, then he became angry. Why is he so angry? His brother is home. So he became angry. 
and didn't want to go in. So the father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat. I feel like I need to read this now in a whiny voice. You never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with, with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Sonny said to him, you have always been, you, have, you, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this son of yours was dead and is alive again, and he was lost, and he is found. So listen, I have entitled this message, The Tragedy, just the tragedy of the offended spirit. So three things, three things that we can identify in our life or maybe when we're making the drift or we can identify maybe in somebody else's life and say, oh, I know what's wrong. They're, they're offended. And so the, just the first thing is this, the characteristic of an offended spirit. We need to understand the characteristics so that we can see them in our life so that when we start that drift, because we live in a time it's easy to start that drift, the first thing you see is anger. The first thing that you see in this brother, look at this, verse 28, then he became angry. I mean, it's immediate anger. You know what? You know the definition of anger? Listen, I think it was uh, uh, Gary Smalley uh, that came up with this. It's the most simplistic, easiest definition of anger to understand. Anger is unmet expectations. That's all anger is. I mean, anger is unmet expectations. This is what happened with him. God, God did not meet some expectations that the other, older brother thought he should have. For sure his brother didn't. And so all of a sudden, listen, unmet your expectations of others, your expectations of God affect you more than you think. This is what's driving the older brother, if we're honest, if we just look at it. And so that's what anger is. So he's angry that the father forgave him. He's angry that he's throwing him a party. He's angry that there's no cost to what he's done and all of those other things. And here's the interesting thing. The Greek word that is used for anger is rage. His brother's in a rage. Rage is like the last step of anger when it's no longer funny, when it's destructive, when it's hurtful, when it's painful. Here, here, here's the next step. So there's anger, and then there's isolation. To where you just get angry at someone, you're offended, so you isolate from them, whether it's physically or whether it's emotionally. Emotionally, you can wall off. You can still be in, in the same proximity to somebody. And so you just kind of emotionally withdraw your emotions. You're just going to kind of let them know you're upset. You're not going to talk about the issues. And it, look at this. It says, verse 28, then he became angry and didn't want to go in. He isolated himself. And here's the crazy thing. There's a party going on. There's a party, there's a celebration going on, and the son did not want to go in. I mean, when you look at this, there's, there's this celebration going on, and he's isolated. So, are, are, there, are there some people in your life, listen, are there some people in your life that you're offended and you've isolated yourself from them? You've divided because maybe they're on the other side of the aisle of politics, or maybe they look at it's science different than you, or maybe they look at some non-primary issues of Scripture different than you, and as a result, you have isolated the, yourself from them. and said, I, I, I can't worship with them any longer. I can't serve with them. I, I can't be in relationship. I mean, Karen and I just recently, we got to hear Karen's Kingsbury speak, and I didn't even really know who she was, and she's like this best-selling Christian author, and, and ladies came up to me last night and like, I can't believe you didn't know who she I did not know who she was. I am so sorry. And so, but I understand she's a big deal. And so we got to hear her speak, and she told this story 
that has probably been played out thousands of thousands of times this last year. Maybe not at this level, but in her church where she serves, there was a couple in her church, and they had been in the church for like 30, uh, they were married 38 years, been in the church uh, primarily their whole life together. They had, they had served together. They were, like, they were like pillars in the church. Everybody knew who they were. They served together. They did ministry together. They did life together. They had children. They had grandchildren. And then COVID hits. And so COVID hits, and they're against everything. They're against mandates. They're against masks. They're against the vaccine. They're, against, they're just against everything. And so they made this commitment together, said, we will never get the vaccine. Well, it upset their adult children because the father, her husband, had some underlying health issues. And so the kids talk to dad. Dad makes this decision. He goes and gets the vaccine without telling his wife. And so after he got the second shot at 14 days after when he's fully vaccinated, he comes to his wife and says, hey, I've never kept anything from you. I need to let you know I got the vaccine. And she quickly moved anger, isolation. She wanted a divorce, 38 years of marriage. She wanted a divorce. She made him sleep in the guest room because she didn't want him to shed the vaccine to her. <laughs> 38 years of marriage. The whole church knew about it. It rocked. It rocked the church. It rocked. Now, listen, they, they, finally, they finally worked things out, and they finally put things back together. But how many stories can be told? that we divided over non-primary things of Scripture, not even secondary things of Scripture, and we isolated. So there's isolation. Look at this, verse, verse 30. But when this, <laughs> this son of yours came who was devoured, makes some, he no longer said, my brother. Isn't that what we do sometimes when we divide? We no longer see them as a brother and sister in Christ. We no longer see them as bearing the image of God. We all of a sudden, we justify our isolation. We justify our anger. He said, but this, when this son of yours, not this brother of mine. Remember, it's so fascinating. The last verse, the father comes back and reminds the son, when this, son of, when this brother of yours came home, he's reminding him, guess what? You're still brothers. Guess what? You're still in the family. Guess what? You're still brothers in Christ. And then all of a sudden you see this move to self-centeredness. Look, verse 29. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many more years for you. And I've never disobeyed. Listen, he has them. Just count the I, me, my uh, words here. Uh, he, had a, he had an eye problem. Look, I have been slaving many years for you. I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. And so he comes to this place to where basically, you know what he's saying? He says, I'm perfect. I, I've never sinned. I've, I've never broken the commandments. I've never disobeyed your order. I'm, I'm basically problem perfect but yet and this is just for free please remember James 3 verse 2 says we all stumble in many ways none of us get to be in relationship right with a perfect person you know why relationships are hard you know why relationships are difficult because I'm difficult because you're difficult we all stumble in many ways. We need to remember that. That's why we give grace to ourselves. That's why we give grace to others. Listen, in a fallen world, there's going to be fallen moments. That's what's happening. 
And this brother saw himself, self-righteous, saw himself as almost perfect. And then you see self-pity, verse 29. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many more years for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, and yet you never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You know what, this, you know what the older brother had? He had commitment without heart. I'm going to do some religious things. I'm going to work my way to like salvation. I'm going to work my way into the family. I'm going to work my way into to, to your love. And it's commitment without heart. In other words, this, I, I expect, God, I expect because of my commitment, you're going to bless me a certain way. You're going to do what I expect you to do. And if you don't do it, I'm going to be angry. In other words, it's not the view of a servant. Man, and a lot of times when you look at relationships, the problem is heart to, not, not how to. Many of us know the how to's, but the heart to. The reason we serve is to serve him, regardless of what comes back. And then all of a sudden you see it moves into accusation, verse 30. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes and slaughtered the fattened calf for him. And so he made accusations without a conversation, he made accusations that weren't true. Isn't it interesting? Sometimes, see, the problem is when we get offended, we, we, get, we have anger, we, we isolate, and we don't have a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody. It's just honest. How did he know? How did he know he devoured your assets? How did he know the prostitute whole deal? They, obviously, they didn't talk. I mean, you look in the scripture. And so the first one, he said he devoured your assets. That was absolutely not true. In Jewish tradition, when, a, when the father passed away, the older son got two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son got a third. But if they divided up the inheritance prior, as, as long as the father was living, he couldn't give out any of the principal. All he could do was give out the income. So the young man didn't devour any of the older brother's wealth or the father's wealth. He only, he only squandered his. And then he said, with prostitutes, how did he know? They never had a conversation. And so there is characteristics, but I need to let you know there is a cost to carrying an offended spirit. I mean, when you look at this, that's just the second principle. There's a cost of an offended spirit. And so when, when you look at this, an offended spirit destroys your relationships. It destroys community. It not only alienated him from God, the, the father, but it also alienated him from his friends. I mean, they're throwing a party. All of his friends, all of his relatives are in this room and he's outside throwing a pity party, and nobody cares. You know, the only person that realizes this man's upset is God. Nobody else does. They're in there. They're having a great time and, and, and just offended. But it not only does that, but when you look at this, an offended spirit robs you of your happiness. Vengeance never, never claims to or will ever be able to give you happiness. Listen, when we carry bitterness, when we carry unforgiveness in our hearts... It will suck the joy and the happiness out of your life. You know why? Because more, the, the more God blesses that person that you're angry at, the more God blesses and it seems like he's blessing them, it's going to drive your offense. It's going to drive your, your anger, anger. And this, this, this brother is offended and he can't even come in. And listen, offense, when you and I carry in an offense, it distorts your personal perspectives. I think this is the, this is the biggest danger of it. Christianity, just so we're clear, Christianity is like a one-time decision to enter into the kingdom of God. But it unleashes, it unleashes in our life an, an all-the-time pursuit of holiness. 
We're not pursuing holiness for someone else. It's personal holiness. I mean, when you look at this, Scripture says that once you become a Christian, then you and I are to pursue holiness, to purify ourselves. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says this. <coughs> so, dear friends, since we have these promises, what promises? We're going to look at that. Let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of flesh and spirit and bring in holiness to completion in the fear of God. So he says, because we have these promises, you got to go back to the verse before, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, and here's what it says. I'll be a father to you, and, we'll be, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The older brother who was offended, he forgot he's still a son of God. He's still my father. The older brother forgot his position. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, once we come into the, the kingdom of God and once we come into the family, then guess what? We start pursuing holiness for ourselves, purifying ourselves. When you're offended, how much of your life is spent on the other party? The person that you don't like, the person that you disagree with, the person that you think is living in sin. Scripture says we purify ourselves. <laughs> Another thing about this, we're, we're blinded, unfortunately. We're blinded to our own sin. But he replied, the father, verse 29, but he replied to the father, look, I've been slaving for you these years. I've never disobeyed your orders. Basically, I'm without sin. Yet, never, but yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. The, the brother no longer saw that he was ever wrong. John Wesley would say this. John Wesley says, no one is truly happy that is not pursuing holiness. Because God has designed us to pursue holiness. person really doesn't have joy if they are not pursuing personal holiness. And I think the biggest danger when we carry an offended spirit, it stops spiritual maturity in our life. Because we can no longer see the sin in our life. We can no longer purify ourselves. We're focused on everybody else and what's wrong with everybody else. You ever been blinded to something in your life that everybody else could see? The, the best way that I can explain this to you is Karen and I got caught up in a reality TV show, and we like, we like, um, we like um, uh, whatever they call it, where you watch it real quick. Uh, binge. Thank you. I could not remember that. Thank you so much. So we binged watched it, and it's called Lone Star Law. It's just really redneck. That's, that's, it's about... It's about these Texas game wardens in Texas dealing with game laws and people breaking the laws. It is stinking hilarious. I've hunt and fished a lot of that area when I was raised in Texas. And, and so there, there's, some, there's some game wardens in the, in the deep south, uh, and they got this really strong accent. And I feel like I've lost mine. And so I'm telling you, I'm blinded, I know. And so we're watching this, and then this guy, he keeps saying the word often. And it's like O-F-F-T-T-E-N. I mean, it's like three syllables, often, often, often. And so I start laughing. I go, man, that guy's redneck. Listen to that. I wasn't ra raised in those parts. And she goes, what are you talking about? The way he says often. She said, Charlie, that's the way you say it. I'm like, get out. She goes, no. It drives me nuts. The T is silent. I says, I say that? You sound exactly like that. And I said, well, how about the word soften? She said, that too. It drives me nuts. You know, the T is silent. I'm like, well, why do they even put the T in there if you're not supposed to use it? I mean, why do they even put the T? Listen, if we're not careful, isn't it true 
Isn't it true? Oftentimes we can see what is wrong with someone else when we're displaying those same characteristics. Sometimes that's why it bothers us so much. Because God's trying to deal with our stuff and we see it in someone else and it makes us angry. And so when you're offended, it stops. Listen, I'm telling you, we're all on this path of pursuing holiness, of becoming mature. And so all of a sudden, when you're offended, we misunderstand God's grace. Obedience does not obligate God to bless you. Obedience does not obligate God to make you happy, wealthy, and all of those other things. And this is what he doesn't understand. And then the most dangerous thing is we become insensitive to the pain of others. We no longer see that person that we disagree with made in the image of God. They may not have come into the kingdom. They may not have accepted him yet. You may disagree with them on a lot of issues. But they were still made in the image of God. God created them. What this world needs to see is less and less angry brothers. And people that are sensitive to the hurt and the pain of others. See, Christianity is not that hard. Love him. Love others, lead people to Christ. That's all it is. And so there's a cure. Aren't you glad? There's a cure for an offended spirit. Let me just give you those. And so God always, unfortunately, God always initiates the healing. Verse 28, the end of it, verse 28b, I'll just read the end. So his father came out. Father is the picture of God. His father came out and pleaded with him. The father is now taking on the, the ministry of like the Holy Spirit, the paraclete come alongside of. And so he's coming alongside of his brother, this son, and he's, he's trying to help him. Aren't you glad regardless of what we do, regardless of how we said, nobody else may be pursuing you, but I'm here to tell you this morning, God pursues you. Because you're his son. You're his daughter. He cares about you. And so when you look at the cure of an offended spirit, we must accept and rest in God's abiding presence. When you're offended, it is hard to see God's presence in your life. It's hard to be aware that he's even working in your life. Why? Because you're focused on something else. Verse, verse 31, son, he said to him, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. He didn't, he didn't even understand that. And we must come to the place that we, we, we just claim and acknowledge God's abundant provisions. 31 again. He said, son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. Listen, let me just tell you, when somebody hurts you, offends you, they don't take anything away from you that God has given you. This son didn't squander anything of the older brother's wealth. This son did not take anything from him. When God blesses someone else, he's not removing a blessing from you. It's his abundant provisions. And so we have to focus, listen, we have to focus on God's, God's purpose. Verse 32, he says, but we had to celebrate and rejoice. This is the father talking. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. Son, I just want to remind you, he's still your brother. He's still your brother in Christ. And we should rejoice. So, so over vacation, I made four, four commitments. I, I told Karen, these, these are my commitments, and you can hold me accountable to them. It's just four words. They all start with L. That's how I can remember them. 
and that's the way that I know it's anointed. <laughs> when it all starts with the same letter, then you know, then I know that's, that's just a preacher thing. But it's easy for me to understand. It's easy for me to remember. If I ever made one of like those, I don't even know what, what they're called, but those rubber bra bracelets that people wear to remind them of, of some things, I would put these four words on there. And these are the commitments I am going to live my life by because here's what I've noticed. In the times in which we live, if we're not careful, we'll drift to the older brother and just be angry about everything and offended about everything. The first one is this, is, is I'm going to love well. I'm just going to love well. And I'm going to remember we all stumble in many ways, including me. And I'm just going to remember I'm going to show grace to people that disagree with me. I'm going to extend grace. I'm going to offer grace. And I'm going to love well. Jesus summed up the whole Bible in just a few words and said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Oh, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I, listen, so I'm going to love well. I am going to love well. That is my first commitment. The second thing is this. I'm going to laugh often. Careful how I say that. But I am, I am going to laugh often. And so, I mean, I'm just going to come. Because here's, here's what I realize. When you read this story of the, of the prodigal of the side and you look at the older brother, who's the only one not laughing? Older brother, right? Who's the one ha unhappy? The older brother, right? There's a party going down. And it's the party of all parties. And it is a celebration going down. And everybody's laughing and everybody's celebrating except who? The one that's offended. You ever been in a gathering where it's your family, where it's at the office, where it's a church, where it's a group? Everybody is laughing. Everybody's celebrating except you. Why? Because you're offended. It will suck the life out of you. Laugh often, often. I notice in my life when I quit laughing easy, something's wrong in my life. I mean, Proverbs chapter 12, just real quickly, Proverbs chapter 12 says that laughter is good medicine for the body. Do you realize there's all kinds of medical studies out there? What happens when we laugh? What happens chemically in the brain? How it reduces stress and some other things. And, and then, then he goes on and says, but bitterness and unforgiveness, it rots the bones. And so, so you know what? I'm, I am, I am going to love well. I am going to laugh often. And the third thing is this. And I'm going to look for the miraculous every day. I'm going to look for God's treasures every day. That's, that's one of the things about an offended spirit is you can no longer see where God is working. And God may be blessing you and God may be taking care of you. But you and I are not able to see it. Why? Because we're just so offended. Every day I'm going to laugh. Every day I'm going to love well. And every day I'm going to look at the treasure or where God is working. I mean, there's many days that I've told Karen. Karen's told me. And I've said, you know what? That's God's treasure today. That's God's provision today. And then the fourth and the last thing is this. I'm going to live on mission with Karen. I'm going to live on mission together with Karen. I'm going to live on mission with the mission that God has given us 20 years ago. Dan Carcentino, he was sheriff at the time, contacted me and said... We want to start doing a Sheriff's Award banquet, and so Fellowship the Rockies joined with that, and I was part of that whole deal. And 20 years later, uh, Friday night, Karen and I took part. I did the invocation. I mean, Heather Scold uh, from KRDO was the MC, and I did the invocation and prayed. And, and so Karen and I went to the Sheriff's Award banquet 
uh, Fellowship of the Rockies is gold level sponsors, and I could talk about that. And so Karen and I just sat at a table, and we just laughed with some people with, over some dumb stuff and dumb jokes. And we celebrated with them, and we prayed for them, because, and we remembered that everybody is made in the image of God, that bears the image of God. Christianity is not hard. Love him. Love others. Lead people to Christ. I don't know what decision you need to make this morning. I know what decisions I've had to make. I'm telling you, before I preach to you, this text has sifted through my life. That's why it's so personal when I preach, because it's burden. The same issues that, that, that I have talked to you about, I've, I've had to personally deal with in my life. And every one of us has a decision. I don't know what your decision is. And maybe today you just need to come to him for the very first time. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, his begotten son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?